Okay, before I get to my next guest, Tom Pertzer, I want to talk to you about our new friends over at Adele Golf. Have you been custom fit for your putter or even for your wedges? Adele Golf is the industry leader in scoring club fitting. Their putter fitting system is the most complete putter fitting system in golf. The EAS line of putters can get your putting dialed in. Also check out their swing match system wedges with weight adjustability to make sure your wedges are truly fit to your swing. Go to AdeleGolf.com and schedule your fitting today. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now back with me is PGA Tour legend Tom Pertzer. Tom has become a wonderful friend of the show over the last year. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Des Moines, Iowa, played his college golf at Arizona State from 1970 to 73. He turned pro later that year in 73, got his first tour victory at the 1977 Glen Campbell Los Angeles Open by one stroke over Lanny Watkins. Tom won five times on the PGA Tour and four more times on the Champions Tour. In all, he has 15 professional wins. And as most of you know, and as, as Tom Patry just said a moment ago, Tom Percher's always been known as having the sweetest swing on tour, and it's always a huge thrill to have him with me here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tom, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm fantastic, Tom. How about yourself? What's been going on with you? Um, Not much. Just I've got a little shoulder knick-knock, so um haven't been hitting many balls lately, but... um. It's it's getting better, so I'm kind of excited about starting to hit balls again. You know, when when you don't get to hit balls, you really miss it. (laughs) Yeah. Tom Patrick and I were talking about that uh, prior to the show going on. So, yeah, I understand that completely. Mm -hmm. Tom, I want to start our time tonight by getting your perspective on this new Saudi tour thing and Phil Mickelson getting all mixed up in that, trying to leverage the PGA Tour against the Saudi Tour to get some things I think that he wanted out of the PGA Tour. What are your thoughts on what's been going on with all of that? Yikes. Do you want to start with that? (laughs) (laughs) I figure let's start off big. Well, I just, you know, to me, um, Greg has always had it in for the PGA Tour. You know, he's he tried to get that, he tried to get the same thing going, I don't know, in the early 90s or mid 90s or whatever it was that, where he was going to take 30 players and, and do the same thing with 30 players. So he, he's had it in for the tour and, you know, it's, it's just not, well, Jack and Arnold had, I remember I was in a player meeting probably in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe, and somebody had come to Jack and Arnold with the same thing. Um, they wanted to kind of branch off and have it a, you know, uh, um, you know, really small exclusive field. And 
both Jack and Arnold said, no, we're not doing that because it'll ruin the tour. Um, you know, it, it, it bothers me when I see a comment from Phil Mickelson about how the tour is, is um, greedy. Um, and, you know, and, and that he doesn't have his rights or whatever he said exactly. I don't know exactly what he said, but it kind of bothers me. You know, the, the tour, the tour, they play for this much money because the tour works out a deal with the TV networks where, you know, they're, they're, it's all predicated on the best players playing on the PGA tour. And so that's what you, when you sign up to play on the tour, you have to sign and you, you basically kind of give them that right. And, you know, if they don't, um, if they don't have that, there's not going to be a billion dollar uh, network um, contract. So they're going to be playing for a lot less money. And, you know, if you, if you, if you, if these, uh, these 48 guys, go and play in somewhere else, it make, it's going to be tough for the tour to, to keep that TV contract. But, you know, overall, I just think, I think it's Greg, Greg's got an ego and, um, it, it, I don't know, you know, he says, well, I'm doing it for the good of the tour and I'm going to, you know, do this and that. Well, why not just put all that money into the, you know, the Asian tour was what, you know, he's, he's kind of working this around the Asian tour. Put all that money in the Asian tour. That'll that'll do it. But it's just disappointing it, to see you know Phil and Greg and 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 the other guys doing this. I don't see it. I don't see it working. And and to me, the other thing is that bothers me is you're putting these young kids in a very precarious position where they're they're not they're not equipped to decide. Um, if, you know, if I play this, I'm, I may not get to play the PGA Tour. Um, and there has to be some consequence if you go play in those events. I don't know exactly what it is. You know, Greg says they're um, free agents and they can play wherever they want. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I mean, he could have, you know, lawyers that are going to fight it and whatever. But, you know, it's just disappointing that he has come up with this thing again. Tom, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to go back into your playing career to the 1991 World Series of Golf. I had Jim Gallagher Jr. on the show last week, and you beat Jim and Davis Love the third in a playoff to win that event. The three of you were the only ones to finish under par for the week at one under par. It was played at Firestone Country Club, and we all know what a challenging golf course that is to play. What do you remember about that week? You know, I just remember... Um Remember being a really having a really good ball hitting week. Um, I drove it, I drove it really good, uh, hit good irons, and and for me, I putted decent. Um, and you know, kind of that was basically the whole thing for me. If if I putted decent in a week, um, I was going to have a good week. Um, I kind of, you know, basically struggled with my putter most of the time. Um, had had stretches where I putted okay, but. I couldn't really, I didn't really have much confidence in my putting, you know, and I spent, I spent most of my time hitting golf balls, which is a little, it's a little counterproductive. You want to, that putter means a lot more than, uh, uh, you know, if you can't make those four and five, eight footers for birdies and stuff, it, it makes it pretty tough. But I just remember, 
you know, having a good week of ball hitting and, and being really confident with, with hitting the, you know, hitting shots and stuff. And Tom, talk just a little briefly about Firestone Country Club. Like I say, we, we all hear about what a difficult golf course that was. And like I say, the three of you are the only ones to break par. When I look at the leaderboard, Payne Stewart finished at plus five. Jose Maria Lothaba was plus 11. Paul Azinger was plus 17. Kenny Perry was plus 25. That's a heck of a golf course, and those are heck of players to shoot that far over par. Talk about Firestone Country Club and the difficulty playing it. Well, you know, that was back when I think we were still playing woods and steel shafts and, <laughs> and, and a lot of balls. So um, that made it a little tougher. Um, certainly, it's not the same golf course that the kids are playing these days. Um, I mean, we hit, you know, we were hitting mid irons and long irons and every one of those par fours. Um, you know, and nobody was getting it on 16 and, um, it was just a heck of a golf course. You had to hit it, you know, both ways. Um, you couldn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't favor somebody that faded it all the time or, or drew it all the time. You, that, that golf course is, is really brutal. It was really brutal back then. It was, uh, you, you really had to have control of, um, um, your distances and where the ball was going to go. And Tom, speaking of brutal golf courses, we're a couple of weeks north of the Players' Championship. You played there several times. You finished tied for ninth in 87, tied for third in 1990. Talk about what you remember about being in the thick of it at the Players' Championship. Well, to me, that I think that's more of a major than some of the majors. Um, you know, you have the best field uh, every year there. Um, everybody loves playing there and, you know, it's just, it's a great golf course. I remember, man, when we first played there, the first two years we played there, it was so hard. You know, if you missed the green, it was really a challenge getting it up and down. Then they, they had to come in and soften it. Pete came back and softened it a little bit, but it's just a great golf course. It's, it's, uh, there's, there's a double bogey waiting on lurking on every hole um you know but if you if you have control of your golf ball if you play good if you hit the ball good you can definitely score there um you, you know and they've got holes like 17 which is you know that's that's just one of those holes that you you start thinking about on about the 14th hole and <laughs> it's you know it's just it's a great golf course and the tour runs it beautifully and you know there's so much money involved now for the for winning and um but it was it was one of my favorite tournaments all year i i look forward to that um the beginning of the year you talk about starting to think about 17 on around 14 is the tee shot on 17 followed by the tee shot on 18 those two back to back are those the two toughest tee shots in all of golf you know, I don't know about 18. 18 is, um, 18 is a, it's a good driving hole, but I don't think there's other holes on, on that golf course that are just as tough. But, um, yeah, when you, when you get, when you get that ball on the green on 17, there's a big, uh, you know, just a, it, it's, <laughs> you, you, you kind of give yourself a pat on the back. Um, I, and it's at what? It's 125 yards long, but there's, there's, 
you know, if you miss hit it or if you catch it a little bit too good or you don't have the right club, it's, it's gonna, it, you're, it's gonna cost you. And, um, it's a, you know, it's positioned second from, you know, second to the end hole. And, um, that's a, that's a tough one. You know, you can, it can, you can win there, you can lose there. And Tom, Hal Sutton joined me a couple of weeks ago and he talked about Pete Dye and Dye's designs and we all know him as Diabolical Pete, but one of the things that uh, Hal talked about is Pete designed trouble so that it caught your eye. So you you became aware of where the trouble was on every hole because the golf the the course design pulled your eye in that direction. Was that something that you noticed about Pete? And is that true of other course designers, or is that a Pete specialty? Um, I think it might be a Pete specialty, and that's a good point that Hal brought up. Um, uh, you you definitely see, and and the more times you play it, you notice you notice those things. And um, but yeah, when you first the first time you ever play it, you're always you know your eyes catches your eyes catch things that oh I don't want to go over there or you know um, you, you want to stay we want to stay to the right of that bunker or um, the water. There's just so many, so many things that you wanna, you wanna play away from. And, um, you know, that, again, that's the thing about it. You, if you have control over your game, it's, it's a, it's a golf course that you can score well on, but it's, it's just, you see all, all the things lurking that can cause you problems. Tom, as we look ahead to next week's Masters tournament, was 1977, was that the first time you played at Augusta National? Um, yes, it was. Yeah, one early in the year. And, and, you know, I think everybody, everybody, the first thing they think about when they win a tournament is the Masters. I'm, you know, I'm in the Masters and, and, you know, the thing, the thing that I think, the thing that I think is neat about the Masters is it, it's, played at the same golf course every year and you get to where you you know the hole before you go play you've watched it year in and year out and um you, you hear the roars on tv it's it's a wonderful um wonderful tournament i i i the first i don't know four four three or four times i played there i thought it was just a putting contest and i was I was terribly wrong. Um, it's, it's actually a second shot golf course. You, you've got to place those iron shots in the right area of the green so you can have a, a, you know, a putt for a birdie. If you, a lot of times you'd rather have a 15 footer, 20 footer, one part of the green than a five footer on the, you know, above the hole or side. Um, I ended up playing defense. You know, most of the time, those first couple of years I played. Um, but then after that, I, I realized that, you know, hey, this is not a putting contest. It, it, I mean, it is a putting contest, but it's also you've got to place the, your your approach shot um, in the right part of the green. And speaking of Masters, I was fortunate enough to play with, with, the, with your other guest tonight, Mark Kalkovecki, when he shot 29 on the backside one year. That was wow. impressive. So the first time you show up, whether that's, you know, 77 or maybe you come back in 78, 
trying to learn the golf course. As you said, it, it felt like a putting contest and you realized it was a second shot golf course. Did somebody, did you go out and play a practice round with some of the legends? Did someone take you under their wing a little bit? Did you approach somebody and say, hey, help me out here. Trying to, I'm trying to figure out the golf course. How do I play it? You know, I was a little, I don't know what the right word is, timid or whatever, but I just couldn't go up to, you know, the veterans and go, hey, Jack, can I, can I play nine holes with you or 18 holes with you or, you know, Tom Weisskopf or, you know, some of the other guys, I just didn't, and I, I didn't, I didn't have, uh, I don't know, I, I didn't ask anybody, and I, I should have. I had a lot of friends that I could have asked, but I just didn't do that, and it cost, you know, I think it, it cost me a little bit. You, there's so many uh, nuances in that, at that, at that golf course that um, it, it takes you a while if you don't let somebody give you some um, some knowledge, um, it takes you a, li- a few years to, you know, to go to know where to hit it on the green and to know where the best approach angle is coming from and stuff. So I, I kind of messed up and I didn't, I didn't ask anybody for help. And I, I wish I would have had I, you know, known then, you know, now what I know then I, I would have, I would have, um, gone to some guys and asked them. Tom, let's go forward a little bit to the 1982 Open Championship at Royal Troon. You finished tied for fourth that week, and you were one of, again, only a handful of guys to finish under par for the tournament. You started off 76-66. When you came off the course after the opening round 76, did you think there were 10 strokes out there for you to go get? <laughs> not not quite, Chris. But the, in what happened is that first round, uh, um, I had never, you know, that was my first British Open. And, you know, I was staying down, uh, I, air, I think, where I was staying in a little town. And it was about 25, 30 minutes away. And, you know, it took us 25, 30 minutes to get there every day. Well, first round of the Open, I get about six miles from the entrance, a parking lot. So I got I got out of my car with 15 minutes before my tee time, <clears throat> and you know no I didn't get to hit any golf balls. Um, just put my shoes on, and went to the first tee, and shot 76. And you know I was disappointed. Um, I was disappointed in not knowing or not thinking that there might be traffic or whatever. Um, but anyway, I. I Shot 76 first day, and the next day I played great. Um, shot 66, probably one of the better rounds of any ter- any round that I played in a major. Um, and I love the golf course. Um, I love the Brit. I love the Scottish golf courses. They're so much fun to play, and you know, it you you have to be a little more creative, um, and you got to hit different shots and stuff. So. Um, it, it was it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. And, and no, I kind of didn't. After that seventy six, I I couldn't see sixty six in in my near near future. Tom, you very nearly made a hole in one on seventeen during the final round. You land the ball just short of the green, takes a couple of bounces, ends up about six inches from the hole. Talk about that shot, and when you're watching it bounce up there, did you think it might go in? Well, I, it was it was a little windy. And it's a pretty long par three, and I, I think I hit two irons. 
And, you know, it's one of those ones you, you just dream about. It's kind of like a frozen rope. And it was, um, it, it was covering the pin the whole way. And, you know, you just, you don't ever know what, what bounce you're going to get when you get up there. And, uh, it, it just kept going right at it. And it, it looked pretty good, but, um, I, I, it wasn't one of those ones that looked like it was going in. It just it looked like it was going to be close, but it came at a good time, you know, making two on that whole last round, last day, um, was helpful. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners what you're doing now. Well, <laughs> I'm still, still practicing a little bit. I'm going to play in the Arizona Senior Open here in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, it's funny. I still hit balls and I, I just enjoy hitting balls so much. And, you know, the thing that, thing that I miss the most is, is I miss my buddies on tour and I miss the competition. You know, I miss competing and I don't know that that's ever going to go away. Um, but I'm kind of biting the bullet a little bit. A couple of guys have talked me into going to real estate school. So I'm, I, that's what, that's what I'm doing these days is, I'm back in a back in book work. I haven't done that in 50 years, so it's a little <laughs> different. Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show. I always enjoy listening to your stories. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope you'll do it again soon. Well, Chris, I always love being on your show, and and just like TP said, you're the best. You're the you're the best um, uh, interviewer I've ever talked to. You you know your wow. stuff. You're you're you don't you don't miss anything, and uh, I just appreciate you having me on your show. Well, I can't thank you enough for that. That means a great deal to me, Tom. I look forward to hopefully getting the privilege of catching up with you after the uh, Arizona Senior Open and hearing how it goes. I hope you'll come back and join me. That'd be good. Anytime you want me on, Chris, I'll be there. Thanks, buddy. All right. Take care, Tom. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. That's a great Tom Purser, folks, and and um, like Tom Patry said. Um, there's not a sweeter swing probably in the history of the game than Tom Purser. And if you layer on top of that, a great competitor and just a great human being and, and the great things that he did in the game and then around the game as well, boy, it's just, it sure is a privilege getting to spend some time with him. I hope we get, like I say, the privilege of doing it again very soon. 